It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We are all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of the noisiest authorities insisted on it being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Charles Dickens beautifully describes the capricious nature of the human heart. When we are at our height, what is there to expect but a precipitous fall? And after the fall, what is there to do but rise again, just as the sun blesses the earth after a dark and stormy night? Can you watch how this unfolds in your own mind? How this unfolds for us collectively as well as individuals? It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. As we roam the landscape of our life, our wants and waverings laid bare, do we live at the mercy of the tides of desire and misfortune? Are we cast about by the vagaries of an unpredictable mind? Is there another option? Dickens again. The sun, the bright sun, that brings back not light alone, but new life and hope and a freshness to people burst upon the crowded city in clear and radiant glory. Through costly colored glass and paper-mended window, through cathedral dome and rotten crevice, it shed its equal ray. The sun, the bright sun that brings back not light alone, but new life and hope and a freshness to people, burst upon the crowded city in clear and radiant glory. Through costly colored glass and paper-mended window, through cathedral dome and rotten crevice, it shed its equal ray. Perhaps it's always in equal measure, the best of times and the worst of times, both happening at once, arising and falling, falling away, dancing as lovers do, intertwined and inseparable. And the sun sheds its equal way through cathedral dome and rotted crevice. As Koan Ajo says, And in this luminosity, usual people and sages, deluded and enlightened, are one. In the midst of impermanence, this luminosity is unobstructed. And in this luminosity, cathedral dome and rotted crevice are one. Whatever the times, 
When we act with intention, collectively and as individuals, we are not helpless before the wayward wanderings of our own mind. Practice helps us see that. And so monasteries come into being, and temples and sitting groups. The collective impulse towards liberation organizes itself into particular forms and dress codes and schedules, hopefully always oriented to our communal awakening. Great Vow, this monastery, can be seen as an unfolding consequence to this yearning for the evolution of consciousness, which takes place in the day-to-day terrestrial happenings of ordinary human life. If we imagine Great Vow as a roller coaster, January is the month we all get off, have a look around, eat some popcorn, and decide what ride we want to get on next. It's our so-called relaxed month. At the 520 wake-up bell, I generally scoff at the notion that this is relaxed. But here we are, out of autumn ongo, and looking for what's around the next corner. One way we maintain our orientation for practice, whatever you want to call the schedule, is to invite new themes for each practice period. This helps us keep Uh, This helps keeps us fresh and curious as we continue to explore the mysterious avenues that draw us into the nature of mind. The themes for this month have been inquiry, as prescribed by Byron Katie, and dropping into silent mind, as prescribed by spiritual teachers the world over, but specifically this month by Chosen Roshi. Byron Katie's inquiry work takes close aim at the mind that pivots at a glance from melancholy to delight. The mind so cleverly described by Dickens as the collective and individual proclivities of the human spirit. Byron Katie's practice asks us to do the seemingly impossible to question our core beliefs, to turn them around and inside out, and to simultaneously love them without attachment. She asks us to love every thought that appears and disappears as though joyfully watching clouds move across a bright blue sky. She calls her method of inquiry the work, and the work involves four very simple questions— Questions that help us break through the monotony of our preferences and judgments and see into the complexity and possibility of each moment. In this inquiry work, there are no correct answers, and question four is where our January themes, inquiry, and silent mind merge. The four questions are as follows. First, you take a core belief or concept. And I've been working with the concept, life is difficult. So I'll go through the questions as an example. The first question with my concept, life is difficult, is it true? I sit with this concept in my direct experience, not reaching out into the imagined world of what other people are doing. I just sit 
is it true now for me? And some part of me still says, yes, it's true. Life is difficult. Can you absolutely know that it's true? When you add the absolutely, it adds an interesting flavor. And I can say surely that no, I do not absolutely know that it's true, that life is difficult. Question three, how do you react when you believe that thought? When I believe life is difficult, I draw in this large load of memories of what I think was my life. So I'm attempting to build this structure in order to maintain this core belief, life is difficult. I imagine there's a future with very scary things and hard things in front of me. And actually, when I'm holding this core belief, life is difficult, I'm not in the present moment. The fourth question, who would you be without that thought? Or as Hogan worded it, who were you before that thought? So who was I before that thought is where we drop into silent mind and we drop into the present moment. When I don't have the core belief life is difficult, I see that only one thing can happen at a time. That the breath breathes this body. That the hands move miraculously, spontaneously. That words just come forward. Who would I be without the thought, life is difficult? At ease, present, quiet. We can take a moment to drop into that together. the mind that doesn't feel a need to reach into past and future, the mind at rest. So we can see that these two practices, silent mind and inquiring into the nature of thought, our January themes are not two separate ideas. 
When we come to question four, who would you be without that thought? We can see the possibility for dropping into quiet mind. We can see the possibility of not having to hold so tightly to our fixed beliefs. In Silent Illumination, Hongzhou says, Silent and serene, forgetting words, bright clarity appears before you. When you reflect it, you become vast. Where you embody it, you are spiritually uplifted. Solitary and shining inner, inner illumination restores wonder. Silent and serene, forgetting words, bright clarity appears before you. When you reflect it, you become vast. Where you embody it, you are spiritually uplifted. Solitary and shining inner illumination restores wonder. Maybe that's who you were before the thought arose. Here's another way to look at silence illumination as described by Zenju Earthland Manual in her book, Being Peace. I listen to that which does not utter a word. I hear a storm and the wings of birds. I can't see, and I can't always capture them with language. Water running over my hands makes me wonder how gardenias feel in the rain, and I don't know, so I don't say. I sit in the rain and hear waves lapping the shore 60 miles away. And this, too, is indescribable. One of my favorite things about being a student of Chosen Roshi is her continual encouragement to be creative to be creative about how we work with our minds. And from this creativity, curiosity or inquiry abounds, and from deep curiosity, insight. So as this monastery moves through the seasons, various themes and practice passions arise and fall away, keeping us tethered to that part of us that persistently reaches beyond what we think we know. Whether we like it or not, we are always stepping into the darkness of the unknown. We can do this with curiosity and eyes wide open. Maybe holding each other's hands as we do it, leaning into the support of our co-rising intention for awakening. As January fades out, we take our next step into what we are calling Attention is Love Monastery Creative Practice Period. For two months, the monastery will do as it always does, sitting zazen, keeping the liturgy of the hours, eating oriyoki, eating, sleeping, cooking, working. We will also make time to explore the spontaneous and mysterious world of art practice what forms and creations might spring forth from a quiet and contemplative mind we're interested to find out. 
We'll formally carry this practice through February and March, culminating in a small demonstration of our efforts, an art show of sorts, on a Sunday, March 27th. So that's the basic news on the human front from the monastery, what we have been doing, what we have been practicing, what we will be leaning into as February arrives. We'll have new residents for the new practice periods. And usually for my talks, I talk about what's going on in the gardens and grounds. I didn't write anything down. So I would recommend that you visit us to explore the goings-on of the other beings that dwell here. It's always worlds within worlds within worlds at the monastery. I don't have a lot more to say. I have a quote from Byron Katie that I'll end with. This is... um, a question that was posed to her and then her answer, the question. You say that life is a dream. What motivates you to be kind to other people if they are just characters in your dream? I love everything I think, so it follows that I love everyone I see. That's only natural. I love the characters in my dream. They're only there as my own self. As the dreamer, it's my job to notice what in the dream hurts me and what doesn't. And lack of kindness always hurts. In this, I hear the voice of the Buddha, the anecdote and blessing and doorway and unfailing consciousness within.